Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's a waste of Gary Allen brings you his new studio album, Ruthless, featuring 13 brand new recordings, including the single Waste of a Whiskey Drink. New music from Gary Allen, Ruthless, available everywhere now. Tell me how you can be so ruthless. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. your hands ready hello my name is dave hanrady and there will be no encore welcome to episode 273 <laughs> 273 of the no encore music podcast on the head stuff podcast network uh how are you craig fitzpatrick you good i'm pretty good how are you sir i'm grand yeah it's been a weird week but uh coping getting better you know trying trying my best um should note that uh, we have a new episode out on patreon no ox scored four at now patreon.com slash no encore and i want to thank a couple of listeners who got in touch by the way because i had mentioned you know i was kind of on the episode itself and like in the run-up that i was having a bit of a bad mental health week which i am but uh, a couple people reached out and said very very nice things with joe which is not why we do it but it is nice and it does mean a lot so thank you genuinely means an awful lot to me that's why say. i do it well, yeah, listen, and I, I, at least one person did say as well that, like, uh, the show kind of brings uh, brings them together with, like, a member of their family because they argue about the top five choices. And, you know, that's good. Like, I, I want to be a source of family consternation for our listeners. I've been getting a lot of grief lately, by the way, about my top five selections. Like, Goo Goo Dolls, Iris, I got so much fucking grief, so much abuse over this. I can like, see that one coming. Uh, and then I suppose the whole new new metal show was... I really I set myself set up, up for that it, one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. It was good, though. I feel like you just skate away clean, though. No no, no one ever gives out about Craig. I have impeccable taste, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Well, I've got some breaking news if you want some really good news just to uplift us. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Seen on Twitter. This is about um, Andrew WK, is it? Yeah. So, Kat Dennings of um, the 40-year-old virgin and some sitcom, what was she, Raising Dad, was that one for shows? Being a, being a terrible actress fame, yeah. She was in uh, yeah. Two Broke Girls and, like, Thor, I think. Yeah, she's posted uh, a picture of two hands, her hand with a big diamond on it, and another hairy hand with a G-Shock watch on it, which is, yeah, Andrew WK. And she says, don't mind if I do add yeah. Andrew WK. They're dating? They're getting they're, married? They're more than dating, Craig. They're getting married. Congratulations, person. Yeah. I've already tweeted about it, man. I said that if he doesn't play She is oh, Beautiful it, at his own wedding, it's a huge missed opportunity, because that's the best song of all time. Like, like, she has to walk down the aisle to Andrew WK singing She is Beautiful, right? That's going to be a great wedding, isn't it? Can we go? Oh, I feel like he'd he'd let us. <laughs> Maybe I think he'd enjoy if we it. Reach yeah. out. It could be good. Um, we can cover it. We can do you know. We can do a whole special episode. Sure. Maybe there's a live stream. Mar- marriage is like the greatest party of all, right? Isn't it? <laughs> it's like you got the wedding. Everyone's having a great time, and then the only two people left for the rest of your lives. I remember my dad telling me years ago in front of my mother, wedlock is padlock. And I was like, okay. Oh my God. <laughs> I think he was quoting some joke, but I was just like, right, I'm leaving the room now. See ya. Okay. Well, so listen, there's um, my good news. <laughs> <laughs> on this episode, plenty of good news. Plenty of news coming up in a minute. Uh, we're doing top five songs about the end of the world. Bad yeah. news, you'd think. And that's because well, we're reviewing the new album from Danish post-punk outfit Ice Age. So Craig had a brainwave, which was tie this in together, right? So yeah. Yeah. Ice Age, um, the album Seek Shelter, the cover's like a pale white horse, you know. Do the math. It all works. And it's, it's, a, it's quite a good theme. I think there was a lot of stuff out there. A lot of great stuff. It was tough getting it down. It was one of those weeks. So yeah, I'm hyped. I think it's going to be a very good top five. But uh, as noted, patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support the show. No Oxcord 4, our recommends corner, is out now. Brand new episode. But for now, we press on in the way that we always do. Hey, you heard about the good news? And news that shouldn't surprise anybody, really. Longitude Festival follows Forbidden Fruit. It's down. It's off. No more. How could it possibly go ahead? We pondered. And as it turns out, it isn't. It was announced during the week that uh, the festival, due to take place at the start of July in Marley Park, has been cancelled due to that pesky COVID-19. Organisers have said that they're devastated that they won't be able to host the festival, which is due to be headlined by... Craig, do you know? Uh, Kendrick? That's one. Yep. And <laughs> Megan Thee Stallion. Pop quiz. Uh, a statement by the Longitude. Oh, it's in our notes. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure you would have known. Yeah. I realised the uh, the glaring flaw in my pop quiz there the second I said it. So, you know, <laughs> congratulations on reading it off a page. Uh, following the government's most recent announcement, it has become clear that we simply will not be able to make Longitude happen this year due to COVID-19 restrictions. Less than two months to go. And it's with great regret that we must announce it will not take place. We're so sorry to the thousands of people who bought tickets to this year's festival. Blah, 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 blah. Devastation, devastation. Um, refunds available. This isn't a case of hold on to your tickets. It's done. But they say that next year they'll be back. And they say, rest assured, it'll be the biggest and best yet. Which is quite the, quite the claim. What do you think? I mean, they say that every year. And every year it's true. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, this isn't really news insofar as obviously it's been made official, but... It's the lead I don't story, think anyone thought it was going to go ahead, right? I mean, it's the lead story for a reason, and that reason is little oh, ha- guy... Well, hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. There's, there's a sound I hear in the, faintly in the oh. middle distance. Is that... It is! 
It's Festival Supremo, Melvin Ben. Melvin Ben. Melvin Ben. Oh my god. Did you, Friend of the show. Did you like that, Craig? I spent I all week. That. Big Ben. <laughs> That's right. Big Melvin Ben. Did you ben. record those bells yourself? Yeah, I went over to London. <laughs> Uh, electric picnic <laughs> organizer Melvin Ben, who is a regular fixture on this show for good reason, but he said that he can see quote no reason why the festival won't go ahead at the start of September. He's done the media rounds this week, Craig. He was on uh, the Tonight Show and on uh, Virgin Media during the week. Another nine friend of the show, rival podcaster, was also on that episode. But earlier in the week, he was on Morning Ireland talking about Electric Picnic, and here is what he had to say. I figure listeners should finally get to know this man through the sound of his own voice. So let's do it. You're planning ahead, Melvin, for, for Electric Picnic. Uh, will it be an Electric Picnic as we have known it in the past? I can see no reason why it wouldn't be, Mary. Um, uh, you, you know, I think, as Dennis said, you know, Ireland is about four or five weeks behind the UK in terms of planning. Um, I, I can see no reason why, um, <clears throat> um, you know, the Irish government wouldn't be saying um, it, you, you know, you can be back to normal by, you know, by August or, or in August. Um, and that appears to me, I mean, I think a, a couple of test events, as Minister Martin uh, suggested, would be valuable. But of course, the scientists from uh, Ireland and the UK talk to each other all the time. And the learning uh, that we have from Liverpool will be there and cross-reference uh, anything that happens in Ireland back into the UK, of course. Um, but it would be a remarkably similar. Um, the event in Liverpool was extraordinarily similar. It felt like you were in 2019 uh, pre-COVID. It felt normal. Of course, there was additional hand sanitization, et cetera, et cetera. But in the knowledge that everybody had been tested, everybody was super comfortable. What a man. Yep. What a moneyed no. voice that is. The land <laughs> no. of gentry there. <laughs> No reason whatsoever, Craig. No, no Everything reason. is fine. I what do you we're think? We're stuck in a loop. He keeps saying no reason every couple of weeks for like a year. We need <laughs> I couldn't like a Bob it. Geldof drop of like I don't like Mondays. Just like no reason. But I genuinely, I, I genuinely couldn't believe there's like three people. I think three or four people sent me this quote during the week, and my immediate reaction was that's clearly an old quote being recycled. There's no way that he would come out with that yet again. But no, listen, you heard him there. That's a man who is definitely not sending someone who's hedging their bets or anything. But um, yeah, it's gone ahead, apparently. It's bullish. Fair play to him. Um, do you reckon it will happen? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, if it does really? happen... Well, if it does happen, how the fuck can they put 60,000 people? Or sorry, no, he said the capacity on Tonight Show was 80,000 people now, which uh, that's a hell of a jump that I missed happening. I know that he's been... They've been upping it year on year to like 50, 55, 60... They've added some sections to the festival. Now, apparently, it's it's like a mini... Well, it is a mini Glastonbury, but apparently now it's getting closer and closer to that kind of land mass. So, like, let's say, for argument's sake, right, we're all fucking vaccinated by the start of September. Can you still cram 80,000 people into one space? Is that really the best thing to do? 80,000 people isn't happening for sure. I can see some kind of, like, almost symbolic event taking place there because... I don't know. I just have this image crystallizing in my mind of like Leo Varadkar there in like the minefield in his wellies with like a, a Pixies t-shirt on, like a, 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 you know, a plastic cup of hino and just being like, yeah, we're, you know, this is a big, you know, moment where the whole nation is getting back together, but they just have like the Saw Doctors and Aslan playing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can, it could I be can that, see that happening. 
Yeah, that which which would be remarkably depressing. And once again, I'm available. Craig's available. We can go. We can cover this monstrosity. Uh, I've said before numerous times on this show to my friends, to anybody who will listen, that I'm never going back. Robert De Niro and Heat style. But I didn't. I didn't foresee a global pandemic putting this off the map one or two years in a row. So I'm very interested to see what will happen. I'm just being realistic about the situation. I'm sure. People who are desperate for lecky picky can wait a little bit longer, but we shall see. People say lecky picky. Some people do. I mean, calling them people is a bit generous, but nonetheless, um, 4,000 people did attend the Brit Awards during the week, Craig, over at the O2 Arena in London, most of them frontline healthcare workers. Were they treated to a good show? Did you watch it? Did you even know it was happening? Um, in answer to question one, I'm not sure. <laughs> in answer to question number two, no. <laughs> And question number three, yes, after okay. the event. <laughs> Very good. I think we covered it last year and I went on like a two minute thing of being like, Jack Whitehall was actually good. He did a splendid job negotiating all the tables and he hosted it again. I'm sure it was, you know, it was in safe hands. I didn't need to watch it. Did wow. you watch it? Super fan of Jack Whitehall, Craig Fitzpatrick. I did not, no. I watched a couple of the speeches, including this one. Here's Little Mix, Making History by winning Best Group, becoming the first female act to do so. Let's take a listen to what they had to say. It's not easy being a female in the UK pop industry. We've seen the white male dominance, misogyny, sexism, and lack of diversity. We're proud of how we've stuck together, stood our ground, surrounded ourselves with strong women, and are now using our voices more than ever. That's right. Uh, the fact that a girl band has never won this award really does speak volumes. So this award isn't just for us, it's for the Spice Girls, Sugar Babes, All Saints, Girls Aloud, all of the incredible, incredible female bands. This one's for you. Uh, so thank you, Brit. Um, and yeah, we hope you have an amazing night. Ta-ra. Thank you so much. Thank you. Always nice. Always nice when an acceptance speech signs off with Tara. Sorry, Greg. I was just going to say that. I love it. <laughs> Fair play. Fair play to them. I mean, it's a long time coming, and it was very nice them to share the acts that they did, um, particularly the likes of All Saints and Girls Loud, I think in particular, you know, fans on this show. Um, apart from that, not much history being made. There was no white male dominance for Fontaine's DC. They lost out to Haim in the Best International Act category. Happy in the words of uh, In the words of Jerry Seinfeld, that's a shame. Anything else I, about the Brits? I saw... I saw um a quote attributed to the band Fontaine's DC, I think on the red carpet on Twitter, and maybe you know if this is true or false, because it sounded like parody. They said the next album was going to have lots of disco songs on it or something like that. I was like, what, really? I can't... It's like every Meat and Potatoes band now just going to do a disco album. I can't verify the, um, you know, the authenticity of that quote, but didn't they say they were going to do a Beach Boys album for the second album? Then they scrapped all that last minute. There was a couple of tracks that had like those harmonies, right? The better ones. A little bit, yeah. Um, A little bit. It was a good listen. Uh, Fair play to lads. I don't know. Remember we played that that amazing uh, mashup of them and Underworld? Not quite disco, but like... Oh, yeah. I'd be okay with them going into the dance realm. Why not? But... We're going to go to the Rock Arena, Craig. Tell us about your favourite night of the year, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They've announced the new inductees. Yeah. <laughs> so, here we go. You hate this. I love here we it. go. Every, every six months, every two months, I'm just like, we got to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Craig. All right, that's all I'm saying. So, we've got Jay-Z. We've got Foo Fighters, um, after being nominated in their first year of eligibility. We've also got Tina Turner, fresh out, Todd Rundgren, Carl King, the Go-Go's, who 
had to look them up on Spotify, didn't know their songs. Maybe that's a weird bl- blind spot for me. Do you know the Go-Go's? I've never know heard the name. I'm assuming punk band with that name. Yeah, kind of um, new wavy. I think probably a case of being big in America. There's also this weird thing where outside like the main performers induction category, there's like other major artists being recognised, but like kind of put in but not quite put in it's an early influence award it's going to gil scott heron uh charlie Patton, and craft work um and yeah it seems to be this thing where <laughs> like the guy the guy that's behind john sykes the chairman of the rock and roll hall of fame foundation um was asked about like whether this would the new awards would preclude the artists from future proper induction and Sykes said it's important to note that these special committee awards give the artists the ex- same exact honors they do a performer uh they put up uh, they're put up on the same wall next to the performance inductees so why is it a separate thing i i don't know rock and roll i wanted to ask you there's another one though as well do you agree uh, ll cool j was honored with a, with an award called the musical excellence award how do you feel about that? Do you think it's just be for that incredible Jennifer Lopez song, Control Yourself, that he did? I mean, he deserves it for that alone. I don't I would know agree. much of LL Cool J's stuff, to be quite honest. it's He's one of those hip-hop artists that I think, like, the genre was moving so quickly at the time. He was a major star, but then his sound just sounds so dated now that there's no real reason to go back to it. But he's a, he's a towering figure, like, kind of all jokes aside. I know he's, you know, become an all-around entertainer, but yeah, he probably deserves to be there. Um, the first year, three women artists were inducted in the performance category. And John Sykes, again, just picking himself up, saying it's the most diverse class of inductees in the history of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is like, pat on the back for them. Like, they decided probably like four decades later to party. But that's kind of the ethos of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so. You, um, um, you, you mentioned there like a towering figure in the world of music who may have gone past the point of parody, but, you know, is still well regarded. That's the case for Dave Grohl, of course, now a two-time member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But what's this new strange and kind of sinister story about his former bandmate, Craig, that you've uh, been researching all week, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) So, the FBI um, snuck out a file last month. How does that um, work? I don't know, just kind of little fanfare. There was no press release. The the PR department of the FBI didn't, like, alert... um, Blabbermouth? Is that still a website? I think it is, yeah. But so I was like, spotted it on News Now, the aggregator. You can't get past out, me. It's put out at like four o'clock on a Friday. Do you still use News Now? That's like the most dated website thing. It's very hot press days, isn't it? It's very just hot press days, yeah, Some yeah. Radio Nova story that you can, yeah. Um, I do of an occasion. <laughs> it's handy yeah. for stuff like this. It's really compelling stuff. So the FBI did have a file on Kirk Cobain. I thought it might be a bit more interesting. It's actually about like his passing and we're going into like conspiracy theory realms here where of course we talked in the show before about like and everyone knows that there was this kind of crazy theory that Kurt Cobain did not kill himself, that it was a murder conspiracy and there was even a documentary about it where um, man Nick What's-His-Face was just... Broomfield? Kind of, was it Nick Yeah, Broomfield who was kind of well regarded at one stage I think but then... The documentary consisted of him just kind of badgering people and a lot of like footage of him just traipsing around and not a lot of evidence, um, to my mind anyway. But the FBI looked into it. Um, 
they were basically sent a couple of different letters asking them to do so. And yeah, the file basically contains them kind of getting back to people every like decade or so going. Yeah, so there doesn't seem to be any like federal violation. I don't think we can do very much here and blah, blah, blah. And just kind of dispelling the whole thing. But it's interesting that they kind of snuck it out. There was other kind of the like Rolling Stone look into it. A few different documentary makers. It seems like they had kind of no truck with it, but... It's just bizarre that the FBI has files on Kurt Cobain. The thing that stuck out to me, the kind of headline for me, was that there are there are clearly, or were clearly, probably retired now, but like high-ranking members of the FBI who f- seem to fully believe that it should be a homicide investigation. That there, it, this isn't just like you know some show on the ID channel. This is the FBI being like, we think he was killed. There's evidence, and it's like, is there though? Uh, I don't know. I, I watched the documentary years back. I read the kind of GeoCities websites that were devoted to it when I was about 14. And like, are you in deep with this thing? Do you know much about it? Because like, there's there's the stuff about the note he left, be like not mentioning actually taking his life. And then there's a kind of added part that looks like different handwriting. And it was all kind of explained away with you know logic and science and i was like okay yeah that's fine and the argument of like people being like he didn't seem like he wanted to you know kill himself it's just like uh, it's the sadly, most non, you don't, non-argument you know, thing of all yeah, time like totally yeah no, is. And that's doesn't stand of, up whatsoever um i'm not totally in deep doesn't. on it no i mean i do remember like very vaguely i was quite young obviously but i do remember like the news coming out and i remember there being this again pre-internet era there was that there was a kind of a, like in some of the news reports that i can faintly recall uh, a slight element of like you know questioning and like you know did he really um and i've read i think i read that charles or cross book heavier than heaven which i thought was overwritten and just really not great and that in particular when you get to that section of the events is incredibly um over the top i would say in terms of charles or cross's kind of depiction of what he thinks happened and what he's kind of adding in there um, it, nothing to suggest anything other than the official record but I mean, all I could think of like was if it came out that Kirk Cobain was in fact murdered, uh, that guy is going to have to fucking burn all those books because it was just such a like really laid heavily on the whole act of it as well. And I wouldn't say it glorified it necessarily, but it was just a bit too schlocky or something for me. Yeah. Obviously, there was incredibly... a lot of that in the nineties, wasn't there? Like, it's I just, think so. You know, oh, there was graphic novels and shit, man. I mean, like, like yeah. it's yeah, it's like I mean, and again, incredibly heavy subject matter in Kirk Cobain for you know whether he meant to or not is um, an iconic figure who is associated as much with his music as with his exit in life. And stuff like this crops up all the time. I guess I was just surprised to see a big FBI stamp on it. Not literally, I wasn't handed a file in an underground car park or anything. Um, <laughs> what do <was>, you... <laughs> I was going to say, like just included in the story, it's like they have files on other people as well, Dave. <laughs> that sounded a bit... <laughs> Not you, don't worry about it. But um, yeah, they looked into like the Notorious B.I.G.'s murder. Uh, 300 pages on that one. The Monkeys as well, they looked into... Um, claims of anti-American subliminal messages in their concerts and stuff, and Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees as potentially threatening um, to the USA, which is like, I've no truck with that whatsoever. Well, I mean, I'm not not surprised that, you know, the man is keeping tabs on people, so that's just the way things go. Uh, If the FBI, Craig, close your news section this week, if the FBI were keeping a file on Drake... What would they find in there, apart from, not my best, (laughs) apart from lots of angst and too many albums? Um, Scented luxury candles. (laughs) Tremendous. I love them. Tell me more. This is a story from the website um, and probably publication House Beautiful. 
<laughs> and it starts thusly. Known for a substantial catalogue of catchy tunes, including Laugh Now, Cry Later and God's Plan, Canadian singer slash rapper Drake turned quite a few heads last year when it was announced that he would be launching his own luxury candle company. And those heads turned even further when it was revealed that one candle would smell like the musician. So he's finally released these candles. Uh, he did it for Mother's Day in the US. Um, and it was quite a clever bit of marketing from him as ever. It was a thing where like if you had a kind of Postmates order with his favourite restaurants in New York and LA, it came with a complimentary candle. There's a number of different scents. Do you want to hear about them, Dave? Well, I mean, you've done the work and it would be just rude of me to say no. So go ahead. Okay. You can have Sweeter Things, which is um, one that smells comforting, is the house beautiful description here. There's Williamsburg Sleepover. <laughs> more my vibe i think the one that smells like an urban garden <laughs> yeah that's you all over muskoka which smells like a cozy fireplace that sounds quite good and good thoughts which smells uplifting apparently and Great. actually he didn't release the one that smells like drake which is called carby musk <laughs> and what it contains is a soy blend of, with notes of musk, amber, cashmere, suede, and velvet. I love the idea, like, the, just the thought of Drake going, yeah, that's me, like, <laughs> just uh, sniffing it, dead serious, in, like, a turtleneck, like, a luxurious turtleneck, and just being like, yeah, you really nailed the, the suede and velvet. Um, yeah, so, visiting, yeah probably visiting the factory. The album. Visiting the factory with his mask on. Um, like most things, Drake, uh, I won't really be delving in too much to this. I said that the new section was over. I lied. There's one more story here, and it's one that um, I guess you're probably fairly conflicted on this one, Craig, because listeners may recall, a month or two ago, I believe, Craig had a manic episode and <laughs> listened to Crocodile Rock by Elton John. Uh, was it for an hour straight without no interruption? Yeah, it might have been over an hour. Okay, so... I don't know if Elton John knows this, but he has moved to distance himself from this song in particular. What's and going he, on here? And also, practice. he did he did this on a Footballers podcast, too. This is very interesting. Yeah, he has said that he's going to throw a party <laughs> when he never has to play his hit song, Crocodile Rock, ever again. Uh, so he's not a fan of the song. We've had this discussion on the podcast about like artists being, you know, how good a judge are they of their own material. Uh, he really sticks the boot in, though. To be honest, I was quite hurt. Uh, he says, the last time I have to sing Crocodile Rock, I will probably throw a party. But people love to hear it. People like me, Dave. It was written as a kind of joke, as a pastiche, and it became a big hit, and people love to sing along to it. Um, and yeah, he was speaking on Troy Deeney's Deeney Talks podcast. I say it took a while to come I'm worried I've, me- you know, I've now I've mentioned that people are instantly like turning off this and rushing to that episode. Um yeah, I guess the connection being the Watford FC thing. Elton John's a huge football fan. Um, was it the chairman or might still be of Watford? He definitely was. I don't think he still is, but he definitely yeah. was for a time. Um, so he's, yeah, just very dismissive. And, you know, it's an absolute jam. I think he's wrong on this one. So to paraphrase Elton John, uh, he can go fuck off. <laughs> Seems like something he might say. I don't know. Did you feel personally hurt by this story, though? Of all the songs? I can kind of get it. Like, it's just a bit of a party song. It's got that, you know, incessant synth. I think that's why I had the manic episode and it was just why it was on rotation because it's so gleeful and so contagious that I just got stuck in a loop. And maybe, uh, yeah, I'm probably being harsh on him. Like, if you were stuck in that loop for 40, 50 years, doing it every night, probably best for him that he doesn't play it again. 
All right, fair enough. Well, look, we'll go from Elton John's, you know, hatred for theatricality to a Danish post-punk band's affinity for, in my opinion, some of the kind of wider reaches of Britpop spliced with a bit of, you know, jingle-jangle dark indie pop. What am I talking about? The band are Ice Age. The song is Shelter Song from the record Seek Shelter. Take a listen. See if it uh, goes better for you than Crocodile Rock. Let's find out. That is Shelter Song by Ice Age. It is the opening track of their new record, Seek Shelter, a nine-track effort. You see what I'm saying, Greg, right? Kind of a lighters in the air at Nebworth vibe to that one. But for the sake of people who have never heard of Ice Age, all one word, who are they? I do the thing, yeah. Okay. The primer, yeah, um, we're back to it. They're kind of scuzzy rockers who also happen to be critical darlings, really. Um, they've been mainly on my radar from just kind of evangelical reviews over the years. I've dipped in every now and again um, for different songs. Never hugely took hold, although I kind of respected what they were doing. Um, there's been a lot of buzz. The buzz seems to be growing a bit. Um, they're quite a kind of unusual, I think, um, Pitchfork band. Like, Pitchfork has kind of moved on from a lot of the music it used to cover. This continues to be a Pitchfork band. I, I think this is best new music. I, I'd wager it is. And yeah, they're from Copenhagen. Um, a four-piece now expanded to a five-piece with the addition of uh, additional guitarist Casper Marilla. Um come from kind of Danish DIY punk roots. They were causing a bit of a stir as teenagers a little over a decade ago. And you've got like, initially you had these gothic overtones, kind of hardcore energy and like angsty post-punk artiness. Um, The first two albums are kind of of a piece, quite dark, scabrous, frenzied, plowing into the field of love, then followed and there was kind of some order coming into play. Um, Even if it was quite like pained music, um, you know, it was kind of uh, just the darker end of rock and roll, I guess, kind of, you know, with Lou Reed being the godfather of it all. Beyondless then followed. That was the last record. It was more mannered again. Um, they're no longer kind of spiralling. They're moving more towards just pure indie rock with kind of guts and a bit of heart. And yeah, they start kind of rubbing shoulders with more run-of-the-mill stuff, I think. It's kind of catchy stuff, but with, you know, Raw Power Stooges, um, scruffy guitars. Uh, There's a great song with Sky Ferreira on that, just this intoxicating swirl of a song. Um, Lovely kind of horns being brought in, some proper kind of moments of warmth and jubilation. But they still had that kind of undercurrent of, like, bristling angst, I guess. Um, Lead singers called it high-octane sloppiness, which was kind of right up my street. So this album, Seek Shelters, their first for Mexican Summer, it was recorded a couple of years ago now. They recorded it in Portugal in like a kind of dilapidated studio, which was the home of Spaceman Trees, uh, Pete Kember. Uh, he's a producer that's worked with like Speech House, MGMT. He was kind of helping them again expand the sound and um, they talked about him bringing a healthy dose of insanity to proceedings. So, yeah, I mean, to talk about the direction they've gone in, to my ear, it sounds a bit like Stonesy kind of Let It Bleed or Exile Main Street kind of sleaze. Um, there is shades of like, you know, UK alt rock from the 90s there for sure. I would contend that this will be more immediate for maybe new fans 
and maybe more of a deep soak for the kind of the hardcore because I kind of admire the progression. It's a fair bit to admire here, but yeah, at first blush, Dave, and after, you know, five listens or whatever, how did you get on with Ice Age? Um, good question. I like it, but I don't love it. And I mean, like, it's kind of true of the last record, Beyond This, which again was a critical darling. And when I when I listened to it and when I tuned into it, I was like, this is really good, but it's not, it's, it's lacking something for me. And I wonder if they run out of steam quite quickly. I mean, the opening track there, like, has some pace to it. We heard the kind of choral chorus. Um, the second track is called High and Hurt, which I really, really enjoy, especially because when I was listening to it, I was like, that's just the melody from Will the Circle Be Unbroken? And then they just break into Will the Circle Be Unbroken? And I'm like, that must be one of those public domain songs now, right? Where like it just pops yeah, up it was, everywhere. It, it was also cribbed by Primal Scream for Moving On Up, which is what I I can't, you know, get out of my head really. And I think that's, yeah, that seems to be a huge reference. We're kind of in Screamadelic era. Yeah, and that's a gorgeous song. Like it pops up in, of all things, like the video game Bioshock Infinite, and I'm sure numerous other places. And I, I, I don't know, but I feel like it's a song that's a couple of hundred years old maybe possibly um just a beautiful song and it works in what they're doing with it they just throw it into the middle of this kind of high octane rush thing and it feels you know obviously a bit ironic but also kind of clever in that kind of parquet courts way that that's an act that i thought of quite a lot when i listened to this record particularly to the first few songs i think when it slows down and it does slow down a bit it gets a little bit boring like it definitely has moments of grayness which i didn't necessarily need and ultimately i'm coming away from this being like this is a pretty good rock record. It works. But I wasn't blown away by it, and I don't think I'll return to it. Hmm, interesting. Um, I think I enjoyed it a bit more. Um, I'm thinking of um, Shannon McDonough's review in uh, Clash of this, and she was kind of talking about how, you know, Pete Kember's come on board, right? He's, he's had this great career as a producer, aside from Spaceman 3, you know, working with Beach House, MGMT's kind of congratulations, um, stuff with Panda Bear. And she makes the the case that a lot of these songs in this album would fit more comfortably on those records than this band's last record, Beyond Lust, right? Which I think, you know, and goes on to say this is a good thing. And I would agree with that to an extent. But actually, it wasn't really Pete Kember's work that I had in mind at all listening to this. It was his old bandmate, Jason Spaceman, uh, or Jason Pierce, which is, you know, as he's known to the Passport Office. I remember, I kept thinking back to a couple of years ago when we reviewed um, And Nothing Hurt, Spiritualized Last Record. And we're kind of lamenting how this might be the last record from Jason Pierce under that guy's. And he's such a singular sound, kind of, you know, synthesizing Phil Spector production, Mary Chain stuff, gospel again, Lou Reed, and getting to a point where he's doing it on a shoestring budget and somehow it wasn't diminishing returns, but it felt like he might be bowing out. This to me sounds like a band kind of taking up the mantle. They're on the cusp. They have the kind of momentum behind them um, creatively and probably commercially to do big things and be a bit ambitious and I kept thinking as well of like the amount of lad rock albums we've done this year and just being like this is not a great listen and this isn't really lad rock but it's kind of adjacent and it kind of gives me hope for at least you know that area of guitar music Um, in in terms of the Brits, it's interesting. You know Liz, Liz Kershaw, the old enemy, uh, journo, she's been on Six Music and stuff. She was tweeting during the Brits and giving out about the lack of bands with guitars and saying that like all these pop stars, oh, this is what the kids are listening to. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, it was just, you know, totally out of date and it was so bizarre to see. Um, and Field Music tweeted something of just being like, 
listen, music is just ideas you can listen to. It doesn't have to come with a guitar attached and people who play instruments well don't always have good ideas, which is very much true. But I think this kind of thing is a return of like the big statement um, rock album. Just in terms of what like the genre can do, what it can stand for, what it can feel like. It feels, it doesn't feel reactionary. It doesn't feel like it's in sway to like the state of the nation. It kind of feels elemental all in itself. And it's kind of got this bluster and swagger that I really appreciated. And I think like the influences are quite clear, but it never felt stodgy to me. Um, So the spiritualized stuff is there. Definitely, you know, Britpop stuff. Um at best, like suede, that doomed sound of um, suede, kind of the seismic guitars, the glamour. Um, yeah, the grey sky kind of outlook of Mary Chain as well. Um, and it really, it really kind of worked for me. Even the slower songs, like I, I had a kind of moment, like Love Kills Softly, or Kills Slowly, should I say, which is um, a bit of a, a ballad. Just, it's a, it's a slow motion kind of bruiser and that's three tracks in and I was like, this is outstanding <laughs> this is brilliant and then it there's this moment where it gives way to vendetta which is got a lot of momentum behind it and it felt like you know we've we've talked before about moments on albums where it kind of opens up and you go okay they didn't come to like fuck around they know what they're doing i had that kind of moment listening to that transition where i was like both these songs are probably going to end up in like my songs of the year list uh like i just thought it was really strong Gold City's great. The riffs are great. There's a lot of restraint there where I think they didn't quite have that thing before. And the final trio of tracks, I don't think it ran out of steam. I think that final trio is really strong. I just enjoyed it. Um, So, yeah, like they're veering dangerously close to kind of communal like Everyman Rock, but I think they've earned it. I think they're more creative than a lot of those other bands and there's more weight to it. They're just better at it. The hooks are better. They feel like a band that doesn't have a kind of day job. Do you know what I mean? They're like an old school rock band. You can't imagine them doing anything but this. There's just that kind of urgency in the sound. And it worked for me. I saw that Liz Kershaw tweet, all right. It was truly embarrassing stuff. And I'm kind of shocked that people are still doing that kind of thing. You know, pop stars are rock stars. Who cares? Um, Let me ask you this question. And like, keep in mind, this band Ice Age are like i think they got a big feature in enemy this week and they are best new music on pitchfork they seem to be an export from scandinavia that are like very much highly regarded and are doing just fine and perhaps better and better and better but the whole idea of like you know guitar music blah 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 if they were if they were from london you know if they were british would they be held up as the new like like would they get more notoriety would they be more of a thing um, not in Pitchfork, <laughs> because Pitchfork seems to have this thing where, like, any UK bands doing this kind of thing get short shrift, I think. Um, it's an interesting one, for sure. Uh, I don't know about he- about the press bias, but I think them being from Denmark kind of skews the music in a really interesting way, and it makes it... It just puts it through a lens that's different from if these were a bunch of London lads doing something similar. I just think there's a kind of sensitivity to the writing. There's a kind of weird looking back to almost like Byronic romance and that kind of stuff. Like it reminds me of like Nick Cave when he was emerging from Australia and he was at a remove from the indie scene of the UK, but trying to do that. But because he was so far away, it was his own weird take with the birthday party and the early kind of bad seeds. I think they're more in those realms, just kind of quite dark, coming from gothic roots, coming from kind of 
just interesting kind of creative ideas. There's something more to them going on, I think, than just your standard rock and roll thing. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, I think I need more time with it. it. It does grab you quickly, which is good. I do think it kind of peters out before it's over. But also that could generally be the headspace I'm in. I agree with you. They are versus period vintage, particularly with regards to some of the stuff we previously interviewed in recent weeks, like Foo Fighters and Royal Blood. Uh, it's a 6.5 for me. It's probably a 7. I'm just not quite where you're at. And maybe I'll get there. Yeah, I'm going to go 8. 8.5 nearly. It's one of my favourite albums that we've done uh, this year, maybe along with dry cleaning. Um, so I'll keep coming back to it. And yeah, I mean, rock has bored me for such a long time. This is a great example of it getting it right and i agree completely with the field music thing of just like music's just ideas you can listen to i love that line um and people that play instruments don't always have good ideas but sometimes you know good ideas and guitars collide and this is one of those moments it's seek shelter by ice age go seek it out if you're interested and we'll go from one apocalyptic event to another with our top five songs about the end of the fucking world So that's not, you picked that as an intro, Craig. That's not that's your list. the sound of me kind of cheating by making sure we get an R.E.M. mesh. Wow, it's, okay. It's kind of blasé. It's like the standard bearer of, you know, that genre. It's got, it's there so obviously in the title, it's become a cliche. But I went back to it and had to give it a blast. Like, it's such a good chorus. But yeah, we don't need to talk about it. It's there. It's great. It's R.E.M. What it's if the it's end my of the world, Dave? What if it's my number one? It is the end of the world. We're told all the time that the world is ending. Uh, I feel like when I was a kid, um, I remember. <laughs> God, this is going to be one of those segments, is it? <laughs> I, I didn't even set this up. This is this is me off the dome. I remember like getting really, really freaked out by like a Nostradamus prediction of the world ending at a certain time. It really, really upset me. Um, I don't know. Two thousand six like, was it? <laughs> no, it was it was two weeks ago. No, I mean it was a yeah, it was a harrowing time. I think if you fixate in that kind of stuff, and people do, and then there's all kinds of situations like you know the mind calendar and this, that, and the other. Um, the world will well, end. I think we can all say, safely God, say yeah. that will happen. Don't they but. say that every generation thinks they're going to be like the final generation? There's always a certain element of like I'm sure there's some kind of term for the syndrome, but it's I guess it's probably that we can't quite handle our own mortality and stuff so we're just like we can't imagine things going on without us so like of course we are the kind of climax the culmination and everything's falling apart once we're gone or as we go right yeah it's good old-fashioned arrogance my exit must lead to an extinction event but i guess yes. there is some kind of cheeriness there's wryness there's gallows humor uh you know it's it's the subject matter for lots of great songs lots of great films all kinds of things great video games so who knows um, I'm confident that, that the art will reflect and will win out. I'd like to go first this week, if that's okay with okay. you. Yeah, yeah, take it away. Because I feel like, you know, when it comes to setting the tone and getting people in the mood for the end of the world, there's only one way to start.
First on my list, Craig, it's the final countdown by Europe. A song we all know. Yeah. Is it a song we all love? That's the question. Listener, you've heard this song so very often, but let me ask you this. When was the last time that you stuck it on, start to finish, and turned off the world? Turns out the song is a banger. Craig, is it a Queen ripoff, do we think? Oh, the vocal kind of thing? Yeah, I never thought of that before. Maybe slightly. Um, the synth riff, though, is just so iconic, isn't it? It's great. I, it's pre- I, like, yeah, it's pretty good. It, it, ha- it Not has bad. Become, it has become a case of, like... Every time I hear it, I don't really think about the underworld. I think about Job doing magic tricks on a stage in Arrested Development, um, which has enhanced it, if anything. That's fair. Um, you know, the final countdown, it's a song uh, by a Swedish rock band Europe, released in 1986, written by their frontman Joey Tempest, which is not, of course, his real name, but it's a good name, I think. Uh, this is one of those songs where you get the classic recording thing, where like a keyboard riff, the one that we hear there, was put in. And it was played as a demo and everyone was like, oh, no, I don't think so. Apparently, Joey Tempest's initial reaction was, no, this is nuts. We just can't use this. <laughs> so, oh, because are they, like, I know nothing about the band, but are they kind of like hard rockers or this was like their sellout moment? I don't, is this like, um, I don't quite Van know Halen about that. doing Jump? I mean, like, I think that they thought it was just throwaway and weird and cheesy and would never work. And of course, it's their biggest hit. Uh, they used to be called Force, which is also a very good name. They're one word kings, these guys. Um... I feel like with the songs I've picked, you know, I'm going to be abstract on occasion. And I think with this one, though, the lyrics qualified for this list. You know, we're leaving together, but still it's farewell. And maybe we'll come back to Earth. Who can tell? I guess there's no one to blame. We're leaving ground. Will things ever be the same again? It's the final countdown. And that to me just says end of the world, right? I mean, like, clearly the plan's fucked. We got to get out of here. Might never come back. It's very 80s, kind of Cold War. You know, the bomb could drop at any moment. I think, you know, Reagan... All that stuff, it just works. It had to be a hit. Here's uh, here's Joey Tempest in a 2005 interview. He said, it's always a nice feeling. You know, sometimes you hear it on the streets or someone has it on their mobile phone. It's a nice feeling. He said he did an interview before this and they talked about how much it's been used in sports in America, which it, I believe it is. Uh, it's been used a lot and it's nice to hear. It was meant to be an opening for the live show. It was never meant to be a hit. We were putting in our third album and we wanted a really grand opening. So I had that quote unquote riff tucked away in a drawer since my college years. I took it out, found a tempo, wrote some lyrics and it turned out to be a great opening for the album and for the show. We don't even rehearse it. We play it live. It's just amazing. Uh, Blender listed the final countdown as the 27th worst song of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and both VH1 and Blender included it at number 16 on the list of the most awesomely bad songs ever. Isn't I mean, it a bad it's song? A bit, it's a bit sterile or something, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, like, that, like my gut reaction when I hear it is like, okay, I've heard this to death. You know, it's it's cheesy. It's in shit karaoke bars the world over. But I did throw it on today for the first time in a long time and just let it play. And I was like, you know what? It's a banger. Also, I do believe Daniel Bryan of WWE fame, when he was Bryan Danielson on the indies, used this as his entrance music, which is absolutely Oh, well, then put it in. <laughs> I will say, I, I think this is going to be, this is evidence for me of what I think is going to appear later in your list. I okay. Mean, this is like a proto example of it. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Do you want to cars close to my chest? Well, well, last last week I I I put myself out there and I said you were going to pick Outcast as your number one. Turns out that they were your runner up. Are you going to make a guess here? Are you going to just be hedgy about it? Okay, I'll I'll say it and I will move then into my number five. Um, I expect the appearance of Enola Gay at some point. All right, let's start my list with some social satire mixed with like I don't know, I am legend kind of shit. (laughs) Here you go. My social life is now quite a bit 
less hectic The nightlife and the protests are pretty scarce Now mostly spend the long days Walking through the city Yeah, Father John Misty with things it would have been helpful to know before the revolution. And yeah, the only clumsy thing about the song is the title, which I scarcely get right. I think I nailed it there. It's off Pure Comedy, 2017, I think, which was a real big picture, The World Is Fucked album. Um, A lot to love on it. Um, Belabors kind of several points, I think. Uh, It's very, very long. I think there's a really good record in there. Um, But this song in particular is the one I come back to most often. This and So I'm Growing Old on Magic Mountain. It's just so well constructed. I think it's like a masterclass in songwriting, like old school Harry Nilsson, you know, Randy Newman, Billy Joel kind of stuff where it tells a great story. It is, you know, last guy um, left in his community after... I don't know, communist revolution, but also a climactic change has just brought down capitalism and yeah, that thing of like, okay, this is kind of a utopia, but it's not quite working for us. Like it's very much in the lineage of talking heads, nothing but flowers. And it's got that, it's very funny. Um, It's got that kind of horror movie switcheroo at the end where it's like the horrific thing is that like so you know people are starting to work on products to help us in our struggle to survive and you're like oh my god you know it's it was capitalism after all um it's a kind of horror ending but yeah just works really well for me i kind of circled around follow john missy on the first two records and then it was this one that really brought me into him i remember giving it a very very glowing review for drown and sound i gave it like nine out of ten i wrote a big essay on it um, and I loved it. I fell head over heels for this record and I saw him on that tour. I thought he was excellent. I was a paid up member of the fan club. And then I kind of have gone off him a bit since and I haven't actually listened to this in forever. So when that came on, I was actually like, oh, wow, yeah, I must go back to that album because I did once absolutely love it. And I remember also like a um, friend of the show, regular co-host, uh, Zara Hedeman. Uh, she also gave that album, Pure Comedy, a very, very strong review and then she destroyed his next record and now absolutely despises him with increasing <laughs> fury. So I he like is <laughs> he is divisive as hell. Um, he is. And I did get bored when he put out the fourth album. I, I can't remember what it was called. I think Mr. Tillman was the preceding single for it. Um, yeah. I, 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 I just wonder, like, does the, I think the joke only kind of goes so far. I wonder if I'll fall back in love with him again. But I will return I to this record. Will. I think that's harsh on him. I mean, is he a bit limited That's as well? I desperately like, look up the name of that album, which was the last time I listened to it. Desperate God's to favorite know. customer. God's favorite yeah, customer. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Some good stuff on that. I don't know. Um, I just kind of feel like like I feel like it's almost like a weekend situation in a way where it's like you've played all your cards, maybe possibly. No, <sighs> it's a tricky one. Like it's such a kind of that personality is such a kind of distinct thing. The elements of comedy in it as well can kind of wear on people. I think he's fantastic. I think he's great. And also, you know, particularly on this album, his voice is just angelic. <laughs> like it's Elton John vibes, but you know, he's a better lyricist than Bernie Taupin. So what more could you want? Uh, so, I'm sure uh, he'd even belt out a crocodile rock if you wanted him to. So this is how you want to go out with Father John Misty lighting a cigarette apathetically as you expire before him. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I was actually torn on this selection in terms of you know, after the apocalypse, still hanging around songs. Um, 
because I'll have you know, I was nearly going to pick, full disclosure, you nearly got a full blast of King of the World by Steely Dan. Wow. <laughs> you lucky son of a gun. You My sister yourself me in. down. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing song. People should go listen to it. Um, but I was kind of like, the, the joke, it'll be funny because like me now suddenly picking Steely Dan the next week as well. And then my sister was like, it's only going to be funny if you then do it the next week. And I'm like, I can't do that to Dave. <laughs> and Dave's patience will, will eventually run yeah, out. Yeah, um, so it was shelved, but it's a great song. Thank you to Martha for stepping in as a peaceful negotiator. She is very wise. Number four for me, song is about the end of the world. Let's go. Your heart felt good. It was dripping pitch and made a look. And your hands and knees felt cold and well on the grass with me. Well, And that's how the world will end. That's Modest Mouse. The song is Third Planet. Uh, this is a more abstract one, I think. It's more of a personal world falling apart type scenario for Isaac Brock or whomever he's writing about. Um, this one, I mean, yeah, it has that line there of, you know, that's how the world began, that's how the world will end. So as far as I'm concerned, that's that's a qualifier. You know, That's me getting in there on kind of the granny rule. Um, but I think this song is dripping in, you know, portent. It's a bit biblical. There's something yeah. about, like, setting yourself on fire, I think, in order to just, you know, try and start again somehow as, a you know, an atom or something. I mean, that's how atoms work, isn't it? Um, this is probably my, my most abstract pull of the five that I've picked. I didn't want to be too literal. I often don't want to be too literal with these top fives when we get the chance. So the more I, mean, I listen to this one... It's very much playing with that that apocalyptic in imagery to make a point, and that's what all these songs are doing. Yeah, right? like, like, but from, from the mundane of, like, you know, he mentions, like, my boss just quit the job, says he's going to go out to find blind spots, and he'll do it. Like, that, you know, you, you could read into that and be like, that's someone just giving up their life and, like, you know, breaking their routine and just going off into the wilderness. And then, of course, it gets into the idea of, like, you know, a third planet, an eye in the sky that can't be stopped, the promised land, all that kind of stuff. So I think it is, like, in its, in its very modest mouse way, uh, super dark, definitely apocalyptic, and intriguing and mysterious in like the best Modest Mouse songs way. They're an interesting band. I've never quite settled on them. I've never quite really f- like fully understood them, I think. you got the amazing songs like Float On, which is like one of the best pop songs ever made and everyone knows it. Dashboard is a pretty good kind of companion piece there. But they're more kind of esoteric stuff, I find, can be the stuff that really kind of stays with you. They've actually announced a new album coming soon. Do you have any interest yeah. or are we off the train as well here? No, I'm very interested, particularly because um, I interviewed Isaac Brock about five or six years ago now, um, when the last album came out, which I really enjoyed. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, the next album's done. It's coming out in about two or three months. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Wrote a news story about it. It was picked up in loads of different places. And uh, yeah, it was, there was no album, <laughs> like no album merch whatsoever. So I'm very interested. He's, um, I think he's a really interesting occasionally great songwriter johnny meyer has called him the greatest lyricist he ever worked with which is like i guess partially like a, a jab at morrissey it's one of the great jobs isn't it it's, yeah, it's excellent. it really is um but yeah i think a lot of his music is about the end of the world like there's always that catastrophic thing going on whether it is like cars melting or just your job not going so well or it's always post something dreadful um 
Which is really kind of exciting, interesting terrain, I think. Yeah, it's either destruction, whether it's of the self or the world around you or them kind of combining in that kind of really kind of collision-soaked way. And I think it's weird because I, I find that with, like, with a song like this and with Modest Mouse, like, it can be very demanding. And like I say, you know, everyone knows Float On. And it is amazing. It deserves to be regarded that way. But they, like, it's like, they're a band that I think are just skating the, like, the kind of depression well, quite well. I find that I can go there, though. I find that I can go into these worlds because, again, it's the kind of glint of light, the shaft of light thing. But, like, I wonder, I wonder, like, I don't know if if Isaac Brock is the best lyricist that Johnny Mars ever worked with, but might be an underrated figure. And, yeah, can do darkness like a few others. So that's that's my number four, Craig. Great choice. Um, Okay, last week on the show, I think last week or maybe two weeks ago, I um, offended a number of English listeners. (laughs) By evoking Dylan Moran's um, English voice, where it sounds like, you know, the person is about to expire at any moment. But um, so I'd like to apologize for that and say, you know, the English are great at very many things, including, I think, getting stuck into the proper grim grittiness of an oncoming apocalypse. You know, they go down with the ship. It's the Blitz spirit thing, I think, you know, Um, and remaining kind of funny in the face of marauding zombies, which is, you know, a Shaun of the Dead thing. So I'm going with this apocalyptic stump from a legendary band we've never featured i think before on the show um yeah here it is the sun's zooming in meltdown expected the wheat is going to engines stuck on him but i have no fear because london is drowning i live by the river to the imitation zone forget it brother Go to London. I guarantee you'll either be mugged or not appreciated or the world will end. It's The Clash. It's London Calling. Uh, title track from their double LP, um, which was released in 1979 and then famously won Rolling Stone's best album of the 80s, I think. Have we really never featured the clash in a top five that seems yeah, never. impossible to me wow. quite the oversight although do you know what i don't go back to them as much as i once did i love them as a teenager i think they're probably the best punk band ever because they weren't really that punk after maybe the first record but um yeah i don't think so we've talked joe strummer of course um who was kind of you know patron saint of music like eclectic music for a while sadly no longer with us but um yeah, this was pretty huge for them. It was a top 20 single. The album went top 10. And yeah, Britain loves a bit of like grim apocalyptic stuff. Like it, this is in the same ballpark for me as like the specials doing Ghost Town, where it's like number one for weeks and it's just this spooky thing about like abandoned streets. I love how kind of bolshy this is. Um, like Joe Strummer's kind of going out swinging. Uh, like if he was still with us, I think you'd want him in your like zombie apocalypse crew of musicians. Do you reckon so? If you had to pick a few people, Joe Strummer might is be he, a shout. Um, is he making the tunes to keep us all motivated? Or do you reckon he could just like take down... I think he's down- fighting off people. I think he's like wiry. I think he knows some like stuff, like survival skills. He's seen things, yeah, probably. You'd have him, you'd have Henry Rollins maybe. Yeah, good shout, definitely. Um, you get some digs in for sure. I, I wasn't Mad- aware that you... Madonna, that maybe? 70s New York? I, 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 I wasn't aware that you were putting together a crack squad of musicians to take on a zombie apocalypse. Neither was I, but, uh, but here we are. 
Yeah, that's a good I I I want Greg from Dillinger Escape Plan. That guy's fucking huge. Oh, and yeah. his cardio he is unbelievable. Like, like he's just <laughs> legging, around, legging around that stage, jumping into crowds. Like he's like he could do it, no problem. I I'd feel very like, safe. Um, action Bronson because he's like a chef. <laughs> he could just like give you decent meals no matter what you have. Yeah, yeah, keep you going. I like that. That's pretty good. Um I Morrissey can people, get yeah. Morrissey can get sacrificed, you know, if, if you need to get <laughs> yeah, out of the way. Doors. You just yeah, shove yeah, him yeah. out there. Yeah, it's fine. Fend for yourself, mate. <laughs> as, as a distraction, you know. Tell them about how horrible you are uh, as they devour him. Can you imagine the sound Morrissey would make as he was being pulled apart by zombies? It get, would be so get a recording of that. Horrific. Get a recording of that. You'll make a lot of money. It could be an NFT. Um, <laughs> from the Irish side of things, who would you want? Do you think for a zombie apocalypse on your side, who'd be good? Um, Sinead O'Connor, maybe. Oh yeah, she wouldn't take any shit whatsoever. Wouldn't take shit. Would Geldof be handy? I feel like he m- might be good in scrap. I think he's maybe all talk. Not. Maybe he's all talk. He's yeah. all talk. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, hold on, Damien Dempsey. Of oh, course. absolutely. Yeah, in the charge. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, you'd be yeah. laughing. That's very good. I like that a lot. Yeah, he would definitely right. do. He'd do a job. <laughs> he did a job for Are you. we still talking about yeah. the Clash? And a man of yeah, <laughs> like a man segment. of honor as well. Do you know what I mean? He wouldn't like. I don't think he'd. He, like, he wouldn't leave you up. behind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if you did yeah. die, Damo would write an amazing song about you. Oh, totally. Yeah. That they would sing for generations. It'd become a new kind of folk ballad. Yeah. Um, if anything, anyway, London, you'd want London to be ripped apart. London Calling. Yeah. Sorry. Um, it's a great song. The best one chord riff of all time, maybe. How do you feel about I think it it's being just one chord? How do you feel about it uh, being beaten to death like a zombie? Um, in like every American film ever, when they transition to someone going to London, and it's a shot of a plane, and it's bum 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 bum, like all the, like it's happened so often. Yeah, like when Friends went to London and stuff. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, I can live with it. I think it's a powerful enough song that. Like, you've got Paul Simmons' bass line just snaking around, and I think you immediately just... I immediately start thinking of, like, the Good, the Bad, and the Queen stuff, because you just, you know, that first album of theirs is very dystopian, and it's all in the bass, really. Can I get a... Before we, before we move off this uh, incredible emerging point, can I get Mango in my zombie crew? I think he can would... Mango, for sure. Yeah, he's very... Like, he, he's fast, you know? <laughs> he's fast. Would that be helpful to you? Like, you'd I could also ju- have to be fast. Is he going uh, like, to be on his back? Again, distraction. Per- I-, I could see him doing parkour or something as I run the other way, you know? <laughs> it could happen. I like it. Right, shall we move on? Yes, let's. Here's my number three. Right, so here's my number three, okay? You can't have a list like this without everyone's favourite comedy miserable list, so let's do it. So I've, I've got um I've got quite a bit on this one, Craig. So you're gonna have to bear with me. That is, of course, Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins. This song is the end is the beginning is the end. Do you know what film this was written for? Along with another song by Smashing Pumpkins called "The Beginning Is the End Is the Beginning," which is essentially the same song but much more slowed down. Um, I don't know, a shelved blade reboot. You're not a million miles away. Um, think one of the most disastrous, one of the most disastrously received superhero films of all time in the late '90s that effectively killed a franchise for approximately seven or eight years. 
Oh, Batman. Correct. Batman and, yes. Batman and Robin, or was it, it Batman is, Forever? It is Batman, Batman and Robin. Robin. Yeah. yeah, Batman Forever got U2 and Seal, those amazing yes. songs. Yeah. And Batman and Robin, of all things, had this. Um, fucking incredible Smash Pumpkin song, if you ask me. Um, the soundtrack to that song included um, Goo Goo Dolls, you know, my favourites. Uh, there was also Bone Thugs and Harmony. Jewel and uh, or Kelly. Let's move on. So essentially, there was also the Pumpkins doing some pretty good gothic stuff. Um, this is a Grammy award-winning song. Would you believe uh, it was the first full band song that they released as a single in the aftermath of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, and it it, it isn't really like heralded, you know, apart from the Grammy win. Billy Corgan has said about it. Um, <laughs> I found myself going. I can't write a song about Batman. I'm in an alternative band. And I thought, this is stupid. <laughs> if I can write a song about Batman and it serves the purpose, which is to make it happen and connect with the movie and connect with something that is unique and original, then why not? For me, it was a great kind of artistic thing to do because it was very freeing. I wasn't talking about myself or trying to represent the Smashing Pumpkins. I was trying to represent Batman. So pretty good. Um, the ironic thing is I feel like he's the one man best equipped to write a Batman <laughs> anthem. <laughs> If Prince can do it with Bat Dance, come on. Again, lyrics qualify straight away. The Zeppelins rain upon us. The guns of love disastrous. A shadow lies amongst you to defy the future cast. Is it bright where you are? Have the people changed? Does it make it happy? Does it make you happy you're so strange? And in your darkest hour, I hold secrets flame. You can watch the world devoured in its pain. Now, the best thing about this is, Craig, if you go onto the amazing website Genius, which is, of course, a lyric archive and there's annotations, uh, some of the interpretations shall we say that the genius loving public have come up with they describe this as an apocalyptic vision of gotham where some unstoppable force destroys the world to cleanse it of its evil this love disastrous could possibly be the wrath of mr freeze driven to evil over the death of his wife the destruction is what will happen if bruce does not accept his destiny despite the more depressing lyrics that precede the last line the smashing pumpkins believe gotham can still be saved the speaker in the chorus seems to be poking fun or perhaps antagonizing batman there's a sense of mockery in the questions that are posed here Bruce Wayne has difficulty confronting the idea that he is unable to change the world in the way that he would like. His ultimate goal as Batman is essentially to change human nature itself. To be hell-bent on a mission such as this borders a state of insanity. So, when we talk about the end of the world, Craig, I want to expand. Forget planet Earth. Gotham. The world unto itself. And it's under fire. And here's Billy Corgan to take us through it. I think it's genuinely a banger. I think it's a really, really good song. And I should note that the kind of more slowed down version, the beginning is the end is the beginning, is also very, very good. And that popped up on the trailer for Zack Snyder's Watchmen in 2009, which led to the song actually getting a bit of notoriety, going up the iTunes charts, and then the band started playing it at live shows again for the next two years. God, I hate that film. What's better, Watchmen or Batman and Robin? If you had to watch one tonight after the show. Batman and Robin, I would watch because like, mm. you know what I mean? So bad. It's like, there's at least enjoyable moments. I, I don't guess. know. I, I tried wager, that a while ago. Not. I tried that a while ago and I remember like sitting down with my mates to watch it like about fucking six or seven years ago and being like, this is going to be fun. And it was just terrible and not fun and slow and awful. Watchmen isn't great, but at least it's got some ideas. Okay. Um, yeah. A very, a very kind of like cyberpunky apocalypse there. Why Why does the rest of the United States of America never help Gotham? That's a good question. Um, it's it's a bit much. It's never been answered. It's a bit much. It's, like, bit like, much. Like it's, it's yeah. architecture alone is kind of like... I suppose you could say, why has the US never helped Detroit? <laughs> so, you know. Why have the Avengers not turned up in a Doctor Strange movie when he's under fire? I don't know, Craig. Budget limitations, yeah. I suppose. Fair enough. Okay, my number three. And um, 
there were so many songs I could have picked. I picked this as much for this clip alone because we've talked before about how this guy can just elevate already amazing songs. So yeah, just enjoy this clip. It breaks my heart every goddamn time. I think I saw you in an ice cream parlor Drinking milkshakes cold and long Smiling and waving and looking so fine Don't think you knew you were in the song And it was cold and it rained So I felt like an actor and a thought Yeah, David Bowie, who we haven't had for a while. I think you picked him last um, for the collab with Queen, quite rightly, um, Under Pressure. Amazing, amazing moment he has in that song as well. But yeah, this is a weird one, right? Because it's like, it opens up, of course, um, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars, which is a concept album that like falls, the concept's gone after about five songs. It's, you know... He's a, a bisexual alien rock star that's like maybe going to save the planet with like good tunes or something. Like he ditches it quite quickly. But the opening is this weird thing of like, it's the apocalypse, but it's like you've got five years. <laughs> and somehow that makes it kind of heavier. You've got the ominous like drum beat opening. Um, there's kind of orchestral swells, electric guitar coming in. And it's really like... It's very writerly. There's a great narrative to it. A lot of scene setting. Kind of quite antiquated, weird language at times as well. He feel like he's inhabiting... I think he starts as like a child just getting this news and being shocked and like the world in disarray. And then he takes on the Ziggy role and talking about how he's maybe going to save people. But it's a pretty depressing song. Uh, it's an amazing performance vocally. I think it's outstanding. And yeah, like I was just looking at stuff that's been written about this song and the album today. And obviously Ziggy Stardust was the one that made Bowie a huge star. And like a lot of kind of teens at the time really um, just kind of came on board with it. He had the top of the pops performance and he just took off. And a lot has been written about how this was the particular moment where he seemed to be speaking to the audience and they were like, oh, finally, I've got my own kind of star. I've got my own hero. And it just, you know, Bowie fame took off from there. So it was a big moment and an apocalyptic one. So, yeah, I didn't realise that by me picking a Bowie song recently, I've freed you up. I've given you a clean slate to once again In fairness, bombard the, the top five. <laughs> I picked was Long Songs, which is like, over a year ago? Really? That's a long time ago, I yeah. I think I wow. picked Station to Station last. I might be wrong. Maybe I picked a more recent one, but I think it's been a while. Been in a fairness, while. in fairness, I mean, like, it's a tricky one, right? Because, you know, he covers a lot of bases and he is great. One of the great, one of the greats, Greg. One, like, one, one of the, <laughs> one of the all-timers, I suppose. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible song. I thought it might feature. How well do you rate that album in general and that whole era of Bowie? It's actually not my favourite, I must say. Like, I'm more... Station Station's probably my favourite. I listen to Low quite a lot. Um, Heroes. I, I scarcely go back to this. I do lo- love the kind of glam sound of like some of those tracks like Moon Age Daydream. But it sounds a bit more dated than the other stuff. And it, it never, it was never my favourite record. There's another kind of four or five that kind of rotate. But yeah, I don't go back to this a huge amount. Probably this, this song is the one I go back to most. 
All right, fair enough. Uh, let's get my silver medal, shall we? Let's go. Unmistakable dulcet tones of Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes. The song is Four Winds. Uh, I'll just start by saying that including a song with reference to genocide in its lyrics in this week of all weeks, given what is going on in Palestine right now, is unavoidably yeah. jarring. Uh, solidarity and love to all those in Palestine suffering in the grip of terrorism, violence and murder right now. Not going to make any big political statements, but obviously fucking horrific stuff and not good yeah. at all. Uh, back to the song, uh, which is good. And also dulcet tones. I mean, I love I was man, being but... ironic, Craig. It's what I do. Uh, how would you describe Conor O'Burst tones? Um, See? I don't you, want you can't to because do I think it. I would be unkind when I actually like his voice. Yeah, I don't it, think there's a way to describe it to without be fair, it sounding I think, like a negative when it's a positive. Yeah, no, I do. I, I know what you're saying. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. It's similar with Billy Corgan, isn't it? There's a certain... Level, a certain level of it, you know, so it's kind of tricky. Um, so this is him at his most fitfully sardonic on the lead single to 2007's Casadega album, giving us a musically upbeat country-fied stomp that's all about pestilence and death and oppressive harbingers and, yes, genocide, among other horrors. Uh, Bright Eyes have always been a bit of a mood act for me. I can go years without listening, but when that mood strikes, I find they can be incredible company and exceptionally caustic in terms of the sense of humour and general descriptive power on display. Um, this is obviously like a really kind of infectious song and I think I think it's great and I remember the first time I heard it I was sold immediately but yeah like I mean if you get into the lyrics even like the title Four Winds feels like kind of Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse type stuff and it's you know the horror of Babylon all these kind of like signs of horrible omens and bad stuff but that's I think that's what he kind of gets off on Conor O'Burst, I suppose, <laughs> if I may. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, bit of a kink. Um, no, for sure, the fire and brimstone thing is a huge part of his writing. It's kind of the Nick Cave thing, right? He just uses a lot of that metatextual stuff to just kind of add weight to what he's doing. And of course, you've got that great riff, which is just like, Santa Claus is coming to town, which I think is great. Santa Claus is coming to town, he's going to fuck you up. If I may say as well, by the way, um, you know I love hitting up YouTube, getting the comments, always gorgeous. Um, here's one for you. I'm an English professor, and I played this song for my English lit class as we discussed WB Yeats' second coming. The phrase, slouching towards Bethlehem, is from that poem. This entire album is very Yeatsian. I loved Bright Eyes before this album, but since it, Bright Eyes has become my mod gone. How do you feel about that, Craig? Slightly problematic, I'm afraid to say it, but yeah. Slightly, just slightly. All right. Slightly. Okay, um, seeing as I picked Bowie, I might as well pick this guy. Forgive me if it goes astray. But when I woke up this morning, could have sworn it was a judgment day. The sky was all purple, there were people running everywhere. Trying to run from the distraction, you know I didn't even care. Bowie and Prince, you filthy bitch. Unbelievable. It's the end of the world, all right? Let me have my songs. Fine. Let the good times roll. 
Um, this was always going in. Uh, it's one of the most famous apocalyptic songs. It's one of the few that was massive that is not fully joyous, but definitely an absolute bop. And yeah, it's Prince in 1982 going back to the future of an era this show is christened Summertime for Humanity. But of course, it wasn't all Sunshine and Lollipops and Santana and, <laughs> and Smooth. Um, people were concerned about Y2K which was a legit thing. Some of us still are, Craig. Some of us still are any day now. And um, of course, you know, in the 80s when this was recorded, the Cold War thing, we've talked about it, the atomic bomb. um, It was, you know, shit could have got real at any moment. I mean, it still could, but um, Prince was going to go out dancing and probably having sex, I guess, and just having a really good party. I think that's why he was such a great pop star for this time, right? Because he had that intelligence and that kind of cold war paranoia but also the carnal like he's a carnal philosopher really when this came out he wasn't really a huge pop star yet um little red corvette kind of took care of that this was like the single just before that so this is prince going over the top um the revolution are on board they're not the revolution yet um but you've got like even lisa singing the opening line there where it's like this apocalyptic dream he's had and yeah, I just love the sentiment. It's a great New Year's Eve song. It really captures the nothingness of New Year's Eve, but you might as well have a bit of fun. Look, it's an all-timer. I've nothing to add apart from it's a perfect song. And I left it off my list knowing full well that you wouldn't let me or the listener down. So thank you very much, Craig. Bad, and God. now my number one song uh, to represent the end of the world. It's not Anola Gay by Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark, oh, Craig, what? but I will say, now the, I, I honestly, blind spot, I didn't even think of it. It should have been in the top five. It's an incredible song, but so is this. Here's my number one. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden letter reaching down. When the man Why, yes, it's the man in black. It's Johnny Cash. It's the man comes around. The opening track from his final record, I believe, American Recordings 4, which was produced, of course, by Rick Rubin. Uh, I mentioned the four beats of the apocalypse in the last one, and I mentioned the idea of having kind of a country take and a sardonic take, but like, move over, Conor Oberst. No one did it better than one Johnny Cash. Uh, an astonishing song, bathed in this kind of thing all the way across. There's references to Alpha and Omega, Kingdom Come and such. It's the way he tells them, though. And I think what I will do here with this one, because it is a beautiful song, everyone should check it out. Uh, I'm going to quote from the book of Rick Rubin for this one. And I know Sonic oh. Architect Adam will be very happy with this, because Rick Rubin gave that some nice canon, quotes. Is this the, the Vatican doesn't recognize that as part of the actual... We do, though. So, okay. yeah, it's a new, it's a new appendix. Um, here's a quote from Rick Rubin, which I think sums it all up very, very nicely. For all the records we made together, he would make me play songs and I would play him songs until we got to the point where we both liked them. There were always hundreds of songs in play, not necessarily recorded, but discussed. You can usually tell which ones I brought to the table. Rusty Cage was mine. Hurt was mine. He wouldn't have heard those. Something like an old Jimmy Rogers song, chances are that Johnny Cash brought it. There are some exceptions. He brought in a Sting song, a modern one, I Hung My Head, which is really good. He brought in a Springsteen song, although I don't know if we ever put it out. He brought in modern stuff. 
There were a lot of songs that he needed to be convinced about. Eventually, he trusted me enough that if I felt strongly about something, he would do it. I would send him compilations of CDs of songs to listen to, and I remember that on several compilations in a row, Hurt was the first song. There's just something about it. I imagine him saying those words being very powerful. What I came to realise about that whole Johnny Cash experience was that he was a great storyteller. The song didn't matter. All that mattered were the words. All that mattered was if the character of Johnny Cash, the mythical Johnny Cash, the man in black, would say those words. If that's what you would want to hear him talking about, then that'd be a good song to do. So it was never about melody, it was just about the lyrics. And I think that's the case with this one. I first heard this song, The Man Comes Around, when I went to see, of all things, aforementioned Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake in 2004. And I was like, this isn't a great movie, but that opening with this playing over it was absolutely incredible. I feel like it's been ripped off quite a lot since. Went out, got the album. First time in my life I ever bought a Johnny Cash record. I'm not a purist, I must say. But uh, an incredible statement, and much like Hurt, I think where he was at, the twilight of his career, the twilight of his life, all fits it really, really well. It feels like the man in black is about to meet his maker. And it feels like he's like, yeah, I'm ready. Bring it on. Yeah, and his maker should be a bit concerned, for sure. Uh, very I thought much you so, might yeah. pick this one, so I, I left it off. It could have been in the spoken word um, top five as well, because I love that opening. It's just like he's like this kind of great preacher. And for sure, Johnny Cash, prime Johnny Cash, is on the zombie apocalypse team. Oh, without question, yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is the only song on my list that literally sounds like the end of the world. Um, either the end of the world or the opening of a Scorsese movie. <laughs> Jimmy Shelter, Rolling Stones, 1969, Let It Bleed, um, the end of the hippie movement in a lot of ways, the end of like Summer of Love, the swinging 60s, there was Hell's Angels killing people, um, things were getting quite sour and the Rolling Stones were about to enter their imperial phase, it was like back when they were properly diabolical and sounded great and yeah, it's this is unbelievable. <laughs> like the, Keith Richards' guitar on this is so good. I think it's just him on the track, which I can't really fathom. It sounds so massive. I don't know how he came up with that riff. Apparently, he came up with that riff when uh, Mick Jagger was filming the film uh, performance, where he <laughs> which he was in with Anita Pallenberg, which was um, Keith Richards' girlfriend at the time, and. Of course, Skeet Richards was, like, getting suspicious. There was an affair going on. And this guitar lick came out of that. And he's just like, yeah, the tension of that, like, guitar track was all about, like, me being paranoid about the two of them. It's just like, what? Anyway, Mick got his hands on it and was just like, Vietnam's going on. Shit's getting real. It's the the apocalypse. Uh, I flat out said that. It's like, it's our end of the world song. The whole record's like that. Uh, A very moody piece. And, yeah, this was when they were just, like, so good like a lot of stone stuff is just you know 12 bar blues (laughs) you know they rip off a lot of artists that came before them and they're a bit more basic than the beatles i don't know if the beatles have a work of art like this just in terms of the scale of it it sounds like can i suggest a song by the beatles that might be on its level (laughs) 
It involves a silver hammer. Yeah, pray do. Oh my god, yeah. Very sinister song. Well, um, I'm glad you chose this, Craig. I think it's a stunner. I mean, look, look it's, a, it's a running joke at this stage now how often Martin Scorsese crowbars it into his films, but uh, do it more. Go back, George yeah. Lucas, the fuck out of that thing. Edit all Those your old films. Put this work in. every time. Yeah. Here, it's perfect, here. right? It's an absolutely exceptional song. Never get tired of it. Incredible. And if, if I had to go out, yeah. Because I've thought about that, right? Before we sign off real quick, whether it's the apocalypse itself or getting hit by a bus, I'm like, oh, what if my last song is something horrendous? <laughs> like, like, I don't I want that to be the case. I know. So, yeah, I, know. I just know something awful is going to get stuck in my head when I realise I'm going out. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I nearly got choked up thinking about that. <laughs> right. Uh, I'll hastily abandon like, this one. Eminem, Eminem. As I'm just like fading away. Lose Yourself by Eminem. Did you know, uh, someone sent me this today. There's a video on YouTube, right? It's Lose Yourself by Eminem set to footage from Joker, the Walking Phoenix movie. Like the oh ultimate meeting God. of the minds here. How many YouTube views do you think that this has? 70 billion. 49 million. So you're not too far off. Yeah. Right. It'll, uh, hit, it'll hit that 70 billion. Oh, just before we go, I must say, Mike, he's your boyfriend, was in contention. It was my sister's pick and seeing as she saved you from Steve Dan, I should say it. And yeah, it's a really good song as well. All right. Um, well, in fairness, like, I actually, I was like, I might include it. And then it was like half 11 last night. And I'm like, I'm not cutting that clip. I think what we've learned here is that there are some incredible songs to soundtrack the end of the world. And I know that mixing it all together and making it sound beautiful when that finally does happen, when that hell mix rises from the ashes, will be the wonderful Sonic Architect Adam. My first pick for the zombie apocalypse squad, of course. Craig Fitzpatrick, Dave Hanready, no pick. encore. Well, uh, sorry. like I'm me. <laughs> We're not making a call. All right, go on. You're in. You're the there. You're, like, the you're, you're on the subs bench. It's fine. And um, right, right. patreon.com slash no encore if you want to help us avoid the end of the world. Greatly appreciated. We're back next week. <laughs> Dave Hanready, Craig Fitzpatrick. End of the world. Bye, 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 bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Looking for a way to make online learning a better option for your family? When it comes to virtual learning, experience matters. Tuition-free K-12-powered schools are ready to put over 20 years of experience to work for you, giving your child the personalized learning they deserve without disruptions. With a K-12-powered school, students gain the skills they need to be prepared for their next steps in life, building a better future for each one of us. K-12, education for any one. Learn more at k12.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.